the Bible reading today is uh, Song of Songs, um, 3, verses 1 to 5. All night long on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, where through its streets and squares, I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not, and would not, let, would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I, uh, I, ch I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Thanks, Emma, for the reading. Well, we are at the second of our Song of Songs series, and I um, have uh, enjoyed the preparation for this series, and I'm in looking forward to preaching this sermon to you. Um, so we're looking at the ninth poem in the Song of Songs. It's a series of poems. We looked at three different poems last week, and this week we're just looking at one of them, the ninth poem. Um, my wife Jo and I, we have a phrase that we have been using all of our married life. Um, it's when one of us is away, uh, say, on for work or something, and the other's at home, and we're feeling um, the distance. Jo had this phrase she introduced to the marriage called, it's like being a pot without your top. Um, it's not necessarily a feeling of loneliness, but it's more like a feeling of distance, an ache and longing, like something isn't right. And you know that your love is not there. This idea of searching for love is a common one in love songs. Uh, you'll see on the front cover um, the album, or the, it's, I think it's a single cover from Neil Young's Heart of Gold song. Um, that's a live version. But he's, he's a Canadian singer, big, still big, be an old man now. Um, but... This was his number one song. The only number one song he's ever had, actually, in America. Most popular song. And it goes, I want to live, I want to give, I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give that keep me searching for a heart of gold. And I'm getting old. Keep me searching for a heart of gold and I'm getting old. And this song is about the search for true companionship and uh, his point in the song is that for him to find love, he needs to create a heart of gold in himself so that he's lovable. I think that's the idea. Well, <clears throat> this morning as we look at this, uh, this song, um, this poem, it's got a different point it's making here. But it is about searching and finding. Um, so let's look at it. Psalm, uh, so, sorry, poem nine, or song nine, Searching for Love. So we've just had eight fairly sensual poems in the Song of Songs, and this ninth one changes direction. The woman who has been previously fantasizing about her lover 
uh, and telling him how much she loves him, suddenly realises he's not in the bed anymore. And she starts to look for him. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. Now remember this is just a poem. It's not like a historical account of an event. So, you know, don't be too, too literalistic with reading things. Don't sort of say, I mean, how hard is it to find someone in your bed? I mean, it's not that hard, is it? You know, that's, it's a poem. It's supposed to be evoking um, thoughts about uh, anticipation and sexual fulfilment and the enjoyment of it. And in this case, pining, pining over your lover, your absent lover. She's like a pot without a top. She's in her bed. He's not there. Um, as, the, as the police, the song by the police goes, the bed's too big without you. He's singing Sting, a great song. You should listen to that too. She wants, I keep telling you songs from the 70s and the 80s and you weren't even born in that decade, so I don't know why. She wants to pursue him until she finds him. She wants to bring him back and be with him. And these themes are actually all through the poems of Song of Songs. Absence of lo and longing, which leads to search and discovery, which leads to intimacy and joy. In this poem, she calls her man the one she loves, the one my heart loves. Actually, she says it over and over again, the one my heart loves. And she loves everything about him, including his body. But her initial search leads to not finding him. So she leaves the bedroom and expands the, the search. And verse 2, I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. She heads for the city to find him. And the city, let's face it, is not the kind of place that lends itself to intimacy. Like, we're not talking Paris or Barcelona here. Uh, you know, we're talking about an ancient city 3,000 years ago, hot, dusty, probably dangerous for a, a woman at night. Her mission is to find him and to bring him back to herself, to the bedroom. But once again, her mission fails. So we go to verse 3. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? She keeps looking. And she draws the, the attention of these watchmen. They're, they're like the, they're patrolling the city, making sure everything is um, safe. And uh, they encounter this desperate woman. And she asks them if they've seen her and they, they have no answer. So we go into verse 4. Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Now we don't know whether the watchman helped her find him, but after she leaves them, she does find him nevertheless. And she runs to him, puts her arms around him, and she doesn't let him go. Then she pulls him into her mother's house, into her mother's bedroom. She knows what she wants. She wants to be close to him and she wants to have sex with him. She wants to, to take him into her arms. This is a picture of uh, a sexually and relationally assertive woman. And it's often the opposite of what you get in Hollywood. Um, I'll give you a really bad example of Hollywood. Um, back in the 2000s, there was a series of books that was hugely popular with girls called Twilight. Hands up who's read any of the Twilight books. 
Here's a few of you. And um, if you've watched these movies or read the books, you'll know that there's an unhelpful gender dynamic here. The story involves a teenage girl who's portrayed um, by the author Stephanie Meyer as a helpless, whiny, weak and passive girl. She needs protection and rescuing by her bad boys. There's two of them. The two bad boys that fight over her are a vampire and a werewolf, as you do at high school. They're strong, they're reckless, they're assertive, they're dangerous, they're even violent towards her. Um, and this series was huge, and it was even huge for the mums of the girls as well. And that's how the series Fifty Shades of Grey came out, as fan fiction from the Twilight series. In fact, ironically, this 3,000-year-old series of poems from the Song of Songs portrays a much better, much more um, healthy gender dynamic. Uh, an assertive and a strong woman who goes looking for her man and directs him to the bedroom. Look at that verse 4 again. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Till I could have some privacy till I could have some security. So the poem begins in the bed, but he's not there, and it ends in the bed, and he is there. The mother's room and the mother's house, it might sound strange to you, you might not think that's the most romantic place to take your lover. Um, but in these days, the mother was involved in the matchmaking, in, in, in the arrangement of the marriage. And um, so often that was the location for the consummation a famous example of that from old, the Old Testament is Isaac and Rebekah, who consummated their marriage in the mother's tent. The poem ends in verse 5 with the wise saying that has been said already in the Song of Songs, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. So she's addressing the circle of women, the young women from Jerusalem, they're often called in these poems. They're kind of younger and less experienced at life. And she's saying, you might think you want what I've got because I've just lost my man, I've searched for him, I've found him and I've just had sex with him. You might think that you want that, but let me just warn you, you know, just slow down. Wait, wait for the right moment. So what does this poem teach us? What's this lost and found, searching and finding poem for? Here's a few things. First of all, some simple things. It shows us that in relationships, effort is required. It doesn't come easy to have a relationship. You must persist, be persistent and you must keep pursuing the relationship. You don't just effortlessly fall in love and then it's all fine and dandy. You have to work hard at it. Yeah, so there's a simple thing we learn. Secondly, it affirms desire once again, like what the poems did last week. And it affirms desire for women. And don't forget that 3,000 years ago in this context, in this culture, men were allowed to feel sexual desire and women were not. It was that kind of culture. So this was countercultural. So let's see that counterculture in the poem. It would have been shocking and exciting to read. Thirdly, it affirms family. 
When she finally gets her man, where does she bring him? She brings him back home to her mum's house, back into the centre of family life. She wants him in her family. He's not a casual lover that she's keeping secret from her, her mum and dad. No, he's going to continue the family line. She's going to have his children. But fourthly, I think this gives us, or makes us think about what searching and finding is like for us in love. Because the reality is that in life, the search for love is never this simple or easy. In life, for a start, love is never static. It's not like you search and you find and then it's all good. In fact, if you find, the love is always in flux. It's going backwards and forwards, drifting closer and further apart. But also, often we can spend years searching for the one to love and never find that person. Or sometimes we find someone hold on to them tightly like she did and then they leave. Or at other times we seek love, we find love and then we just fall out of love. We find ourselves in a passionless marriage or a marriage is more like a platonic friendship of convenience. So searching for love is actually really hard and it's risky and we are made vulnerable and often we don't find our love. So when we think about this poem from that truth angle, what is the poem teaching us? Well, to answer this, let me take you to another story of another woman in the Bible, only this time we know her name. The story occurs about a thousand years after the poem was written, and the woman's name is Mary Magdalene. As a young Jewish woman, she enjoyed the idealism and the beauty of these love songs. And this is just speculation, but perhaps Mary grew up singing these songs, the Song of Songs, which her culture understood were the greatest of songs. Perhaps she heard it in the synagogue in Magdala, where she's from, sung at the Passover, because that was part of the liturgy of the Passover festival. So she would have known the songs. Mary Magdalene is one of the most famous disciples in the Bible. Even there's a Netflix movie at the moment about it, about her, called Mary Magdalene, um, starring Joachim Phoenix and Rooney Mara. So a bit of backstory on Mary Magdalene. When Jesus and Mary first met, uh, she was in a sorry state of affairs. Um, two of the gospel writers say she was possessed by seven demons. And then Jesus cast those demons out of her and she was healed. And she became a disciple. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but popular history says, church history, uh, says that um, Mary might have had these demons because she was a prostitute, a harlot. Um, this is certainly, the Bible, yeah, the Bible doesn't say this, but this is what history thinks. And it's certainly what Andrew Lloyd Webber thinks in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. And, and, and how do we come to think this? Is because Magdala, where she's from, was uh, known as a hedonistic town. And so perhaps that's where she got her reputation from. 
Nevertheless, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't say that. But after Jesus set her free from the demons, she became his devoted follower. And she was, in fact, so devoted, one of the most devoted, she was one of the only ones left there at the cross. All the other disciples had fled. All the men had fled. She was left there with Jesus. And then, on Easter morning, she was the first there. She was the first to visit the tomb. And this morning for her would be a kind of like a a, a paradise regained for her. Her love for Jesus would be rekindled. And her innocence would be restored in a new and permanent way. So, you know, I want to speculate with you uh, that potentially when John wrote this story of Mary at the tomb, in the back of his mind, he's thinking about Song of Songs, chapter 3, and this poem. He's thinking about Mary Magdalene growing up singing this song and dreaming her dream of searching and finding. So John tells the story like this, and think of the poem, think of Mary. John goes, Mary on Easter morning, stood outside the tomb and she was crying. So think about it. She would have, for two nights, been in her bed, in tears, aching, feeling the loss of Jesus, her Lord, her Saviour, her healer, the one who brought transformation to her life. John continues, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll, I'll get him. Well, understandably, she's slow to believe and know what's going on and she's still crying. But then Jesus finds her. She doesn't find him. He speaks to her, saying her name, Mary, and she recognises his voice. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabunai, Rabunai, which means teacher. These were words of affection and respect. And just like the woman in the Song of Songs poem, Mary puts her arms around Jesus and holds him tightly and doesn't want to let go. But on this Easter morning, Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and sit to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So the embrace is over quickly. She can't take Jesus to her mother's house like the woman in the song. Instead, he will take her to his Father's house, along with the other disciples. 
Now, this point isn't made explicitly in the John chapter 20 Easter story, but Jesus does make this point earlier in John 14, where he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. She'd known Jesus' love before this day, especially after he'd healed her, but now the divine love she's experiencing on Easter morning was at another level. She was bursting at the seams, and John says that she goes off running to tell the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now, earlier when Jesus said to her to let go of him, there's no kind of, there's no angriness there. And also, there's no disappointment there with her. In fact, just like in the Song of Songs poem, there's joy in this. She doesn't want to exclusively have him for herself. No, this is ultimate joy for her because she will get to go with the other disciples to his heavenly paradise where God is Father and Jesus is Son. She was having a glimpse of paradise that morning. She experienced a new kind of innocence and beauty of soul that had been granted her by Jesus that morning. And this enabled her to become a woman of love and faith in the Christian community. And she could live in hope that soon that glimpse of paradise would be fully realised in heaven. So friends, I am saying that searching for love is really hard and it's often disappointing. And even if you find it, you will go on experiencing struggles of different kinds, even for happily married people. You think your search is over, we've had the wedding, we're together. And you wrap your arms around your spouse so tightly. But the truth is, even that love is not permanent. One day, even in the best of marriages, one day one of the partners will die and the other will be left alone. It's as if even the best possible love between, romantic love between two people on this earth, it's like you're holding on to a shard of ice that's melting. It's not permanent. But the story of Mary Magdalene at the tomb expands our reading of Song of Songs 3. We learn that while searching for love is frustrating, it's not with God. He doesn't stay hidden from us. In fact, he comes and finds us. We do not find him. And once he has found us, he doesn't let us go. What he does is he brings us to paradise in his father's house where he's prepared a room for us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, in our searching, our longing, our, and, our, and our desire for intimacy, we thank you that you love us and that you have found us and that you will never let us go. Amen.